Hello and welcome to the Airline Business Podcast, discussing key news and trends in the global airline sector. This time, it's a new decade, but it's familiar problems for airlines as safety, trade tensions, environmental concerns, and now the coronavirus outbreak threatened the air travel demand. My name's Graham Dunn. I'm joined by my airline business colleague, Lewis Harper. Hi, Graham. How are you doing? Well, very well. And we have, as keen followers of the podcast, we'll, we'll hmm. observe by the slightly different um, ambience here. We stepped out of the comfort and warmth of the mm-hmm. airline business podcast studio into the, into the wide world. Yeah, so we're in, a, we're in central London in, a, in the basement of a, <laughs> a trendy cafe somewhere <laughs> near Oxford Street. And um, so, uh, yeah, that explains the background noise. We were only close to the, uh, the, the restroom facilities, so <laughs> yes. some of the background noise might get a, a bit exotic, but anyway. And the, the idea we're just testing out a sort of slightly more pop-up podcast format, so um, please feel free to uh, uh, let us know whether you think it works, doesn't work, um, uh, or comment and feedback as ever is uh, uh, completely welcome. It's been really interesting start to the year. Eh? Um, I think, yeah, part of the reason it's been a struggle to to find the right time to do the podcast is you know um, we we went in December we obviously heard IATA were pretty optimistic looking into 2020 and um, but you know almost as soon as we were back in January there's been story after story which while not well up to um, I guess the coronavirus outbreak I think was significant and we felt that together they might have an impact but now yeah with the coronavirus we've got something that that is kind of having quite a fundamental impact. And for, and for airlines and for air travel, it's it's sort of, it is one of the, it's an industry that is kind of at the whim of, of, of many things outside of its control. It's um, mm. uh, not only economic demands, social activity, you know, whatever it is. Mm. And, well, and, and what's very, very interesting, especially about these first couple of weeks, was how quickly, there were just reminders of the fragile grip of, Mm. Or the ability for something to go and take um, take the agenda away from airlines and and their empowerment. I that's guess. that that's it. And we um, so early in the year we're obviously talking about the situation with Iran and the, the assassination of the, the Iranian general, which um, had to, and it's a great example of you know something no one saw coming, and um, but it had a very real impact on on the airline industry. Um, first of all, the concerns about fuel price. We actually, strangely, since then has, has yeah, fuel has dropped now, yeah, lower than it than it's been in a long time. And so weirdly, fuel. You know, one of the weird things is you've actually seen some, you know, nice, strong profits, especially from the US carriers who, mm. who post a very uh, strong series of profits. And slightly, <laughs> that was also based on on these lower fuel prices, which mm. um, uh, last year because everything was is so related uh, because the US carriers don't have the same levels of hedging Mm. Um, fuel goes down it makes a big difference uh, to them and so you could see very early on you know worries about a spike in the fuel price um, and the possible impact in that and (laughs) actually as you said the opposite has happened yeah I mean there was a a tiny spike I think when when obviously Iran being a huge oil producing nation um, but, but very quickly I think you know Partly thanks to the fact that the tension between Iran and the U.S. kind of um, subsided relatively quickly. Obviously, there were there were fallouts from what happened that were were very serious. But um, but yeah, so the oil price there did, did kind of 
didn't have a huge impact. And just um, <laughs> kind of jumping uh, forward again to, to the coronavirus, I think um, um, one of the impacts of, of China essentially being on lockdown is demand for oil from China is down significantly, um, which means that um, yeah, the OPEC nations are talking about cutting production as a result. So um, we've gone from a situation where I guess there was concern at the start of the year that any tensions in the Middle East might might affect supply to the point now where we're looking at the market being very oversupplied and prices being being very low. So if we're not even in March yet, and um, and that's all happened in the first couple of months. So and and, and, and with uh, for airlines, there's quite often a sort of a yin and yang yang to all of this, isn't there? There's this kind of uh, the you know the economic picture can have an impact on on air travel demand, a big driver of that, which is seemingly their key. Mm. Uh, things from the revenue environment, but it could also have an impact on on um, you know slower um, slow fuel prices and commodity prices, which helps on the cost side. So yeah. you quite often find for airlines it, it's on the one hand this, on the, on the other hand that. But from a planning perspective, that that's been very difficult for them. It, it has, yeah, and um, and beyond that, obviously uh, around the Iran situation, we had um, the, the sh- what turned out to be the shooting down of the Ukraine international. Um, 737, but that story very very quickly moved on and became something about um, the safety specifically in the Iranian airspace because it, it obviously was shot, shot down. Um, so, th- so that side of things was uh, kind of a very big spike anyway in the focus on airlines around that. Yeah, yet at the same time the Mac story continues to rumble on. Exactly, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which, which created... That was another own. thing, yeah. So again, and these were in the first few days of January, Boeing suggested that um, pilots would likely to need simulator training before flying the MAX again. And th- this is significant because there are so, only so many s- simulators in the world. And as we're already looking at the MAX grounding, you know, it's getting into, it's clearly going to be into the second half of the year before a- any aircraft come back, I think, at the moment. Any kind of more further delay that, that's unforeseen is just, just adding to to the misery around that situation for, for a lot of airlines. Um, so, yeah, uh, that was another story that was um, and then the, going on. The and I think with the, with the MAX, there's, there's, there's again, there's a, there's a further side to it or, 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 or look at it, which really, you know, the whole time you're thinking about the MAX being grounded, you're also thinking about what happens when the MAX comes back into service. Mm. And the longer it's out of service, the more aircraft that have to come in, yeah. the more aircraft that are waiting to come in, and, and obviously the bigger impact that could have on capacity. Yeah. Um, now, you know, when, when Iata was talking about the impact of the MAX at, at the end of last year, actually, you know, it probably didn't make that much difference to capacity. Mm. Uh, it would have made a difference to air, specific airlines, you'd have seen some airlines mm. not increase capacity um, as a result, and, and, and maybe... Uh, that's benefited them, or, or for those seeing it as a, a missed opportunity. But as a whole, you know, it's still a relatively small amount of capacity yeah. for the industry. But the longer it goes on, yeah. the more aircraft there are to come back, uh, and the bigger spike that will have when it does when return. It does, yeah, because a lot of the uh, the analyst comment around it is essentially that the lack of that capacity is is a positive, has been a positive in a lot of cases we've seen. Airlines a lot more positive on, on yields, particularly, um, you know, uh, as a result, partly of their own strategic decisions. But obviously, you look at Norwegian, for example, who had a strategy in place to, 
to cut capacity. I don't think they'll be missing the, the max particularly, particularly with fuel prices as well. So again, it's such a complex environment, but fuel prices are so low at the moment that the, the, the kind efficiency, of, the gains, efficiency are gains are less, less important. But also, um, you know, linking again the max into situation in China, obviously um, a combination of Chinese airlines meant that China was, the, I think, the biggest max operating con country when the, um, the grounding happened. Um, and obviously at the moment, and it's very hard to measure the, the impacts financially, I guess, on the Chinese airlines. Obviously a lot of them are state-owned and, and um, a lot of them are fairly opaque in terms of their, their finances. But you can't, there's no doubt that this is huge for them. I mean, the, they'll be um, you know, cancelling flights uh, left, right and centre at the moment. Um, and so for them, it's probably, again, this weird positive is that they're not, they haven't got these max aircraft in service because, um, again, that, that big spike in, I guess, capacity for them is the last thing they need at the moment. Um, so it's a very, uh, a very kind of weird situation looking at, at the market from all sorts of, sorts of angles. And it's difficult to, to, to know where, <laughs> where you come out of the other side on this, I think. I mean, for, for airlines, we've seen, you know, uh, a pretty expected response in terms of um, suspending those services um, to the Chinese mainland um, mm. in response and, and you would imagine that's going to be the case for a while until the outbreak uh, they get on top of it. Mm. Obviously air travel, we've seen lots of examples before SARS is the, is the, is the one that it has the most echoes. Asia travel in particular was uh, impacted there, but it had a big impact on on air travel demand. And so, mm. you know, airlines are, are acutely aware of the impact. They are, and I think um, uh, we we put out a bit of analysis on the on on exactly what that impact is in terms of the, the capacity for individual airlines. So for Chinese airlines, it's, it's huge. I mean, yeah, they're, they're um, yeah, we, we can't quantify it that easily, but it is. There are a lot of yeah, airports are closed. They're, they're cutting back services, as you say. Demand falls, stopping people from travelling. So, this is huge. When you look at um, international services into China, it's a slightly different picture. I think for some airlines, very particularly close to China, it's huge. So, particularly carriers who are flying short haul into the Chinese markets, their their China services are a pretty big proportion of their their overall kind of services in many cases so you look at uh, Thai Lion Air for example Korean carriers uh, Malaysian carriers that all of these um, are, are flying quite significant capacity into the Chinese market so you know and while they haven't not every carrier has cancelled all of their services you know most have, have, have best reduced them so there's, there's, there's a few carriers in the region for whom this is this is significant when you start to look further afield the picture's a bit different really so we know um, uh, European carriers, for example, there are some. Finnair has a very Asia-Pacific focused mm. strategy, um, but but even then, you know, China services are you know single digits in terms of percentage of the, the seats that they're operating. Um, and I think the general story has been that European carriers have struggled to make China routes work beyond Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou sort of markets. Yeah. Um, they've tried to, somebody look at BA, tried um, Chengdu, for example, it didn't work. Finnair, I know, pulled out of Chongqing um, recently, so um, certainly on a seasonal basis. So um, so that that's, um, 
you're losing China connectivity it's not such a big deal there and particularly in US carriers as well it's um, we know that the US China relationship hasn't been great um, in recent years and the US carriers have been pretty reluctant to, to add many services into the country so so there's a mixed picture but but there are a lot of airlines that this is a huge deal for and when you talk about the industry as a whole it's obviously mm. the, the dent it could have on profitability it, is, is pretty significant and as you say so for 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 carriers in in the Asia region it's it, it becomes more more of a challenge because that's they've had quite a tough time with it actually you have you know the Japanese carriers remaining you know have been pretty strong <laughs> and bullish Qantas uh, has, has been faring pretty well but when you look across that region you've got a few carriers where you know tackling continued challenges that the element that's Thai Malaysia it's been difficult market for Korean carriers. For uh, Cathay Pacific, obviously, there's very specific challenges in Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, Singapore Airlines has, has, has yeah. it's been okay, but again, there's there's a, a sort of relative proximity here that that... Yeah, that particularly Scoot, actually, within the Singapore Airlines group. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Scoot, we, our analysis showed they were sort of 40% of the capacity. was. It's a small... Um, relatively small carrier, but forty percent of its capacity was going into China. So it's um, yeah. And and some of these Asian carriers are also struggling with the 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 struggle in air cargo demand, mm. which obviously, um, relatively speaking, they have more exposure to the air cargo market. Mm. It makes uh, uh, accounts something for thirty five, forty percent of yeah. of, uh, of the whole market it comes from Asia and. For those carriers, um, the air cargo, the faltering air cargo market, which yeah. has had a really tough few months. Yeah, um, it's an area where the narrative is very much set to change. I think, unless you know the, the virus um, recedes much more quickly than we expect at the moment, because yeah, of, of all the areas where IATA as narrative around 2020 was showed the most difference from 2019. I think cargo mm. was it, and that was. Um, yeah, a large amount of that was based on the fact that obviously the US and China had the phase one of their new trade deal agreed in, in, um, in recent weeks, and that was meant to be the catalyst for, for improving things. But obviously, if you know, parts of China are essentially on lockdown in Wuhan, where the, the virus obviously originated, is a, on its own is a huge manufacturing base for, for, for technology and products that, that, that would be, um, would be uh, transported with air cargo. Um, so I think that you know it's everyone's at a point where we're rethinking the the cargo narrative really, as you say, um, because Asia is such a huge driver of growth or otherwise in in that that market. I mean, it is interesting. We've seen that similar uh, the World Health Organization delivering these um, you know uh, global emergencies. Uh, you know, other issues. There's, a, there's one for Ebola last year, and mm. and they don't all have this, this impact, it's difficult to project how much of an impact this, this, this will have yeah. uh, and for how long and how concerted, but it obviously creates an added, mm. um, added pressure to what's already been a pressurised start of the year. Yeah, it, it just complicates the, the entire picture really, because China, a market that's opaque in some ways, as I say, financially, it's, it's harder to, to judge it, but it, it's such a huge market and a, a driver of growth and as I say, a key thing around cargo and everything like that. So, yeah, there's, there's um, it, it's going to have a significant impact. We know that when we look at industry profits overall, the U.S. carriers tend to account for a massive chunk of that that 
you know, an industry that has been pretty profitable mm. overall in recent years. So, yeah, as we say, I don't, I don't know if this is going to... Probably at a headline much. level, it, 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 yeah. it, it maybe won't make that much difference. But you, mm. you do have airlines who... Um, uh, uh, I also have talked about this, and we've uh, talked a little to this before, this, this, this long tail, really, the industry has, where mm. you have a few, a few very profitable groups, particularly in the US, uh, in these maturer markets, but you have a lot of carriers who are sort of struggling away. Where mm. you know, so on a uh, on an individual basis, it just keeps keeps the pressure on for on for carriers. Yeah, and it does. Add yeah. some pressure there. So, and the other issue um, amid all of this that, that that really comes to mind as a theme that grew last year is obviously the environment and airlines' impact on it. I think um, obviously. Early in the year and over the Christmas period, there were a lot of stories about the, the bushfires in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and while there's no obviously direct line to, to airlines necessarily on that, I think it's fair to say that's the kind of story that, that, that keeps the environment at the forefront of, of people's minds, um, particularly beyond Europe, where you know, obviously a lot of European carriers, you talk to any European airline CEO and they'll tell you that the last six months, year, um, the environment's gone from something they, they did talk about something that's the top of the agenda in, in meetings and at conferences and everything um, but, but seeing something happen around the other side of the world such you know um, obvious and and high profile impact of what people would say is is, is, is global warming essentially um, it, it just adds to that 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 kind of focus on businesses and their, their environmental uh, footprints as we know, the, the, the truth for airlines is um, there's no easy answer and, and it's a growing industry, but um, you know, a lot of other industries have slightly easier answers, I think, to, you know, they're, they're ultimately are not trying to propel several hundred tonnes of metal mm. off, off the ground, um, you know, several thousand times a day. So um, they've got a, maybe a slightly, easier is probably the wrong word, but a slightly uh, you know, maybe smoother path to, to getting their emissions down, whereas for airlines, um, it's hard. There, there's obviously a lot of work going on, but it's it's it's, it's, um, ch- it's definitely a challenge. The, the more these stories happen, the more more you are aware that that, that that the industry needs to get better, really, at, at answering those questions. In the second part, we'll be looking at how the environment played into a, a very specific story in the UK with the challenges faced by Flybe. Europe's aviation industry is facing many challenges, from socio-economic to regulatory and environmental. The sector continues to adapt and evolve to overcome them, striving for a safer, more sustainable and more integrated Europe. The A4E Aviation Summit, in association with Flight Global, provides the perfect opportunity to take part in the discussion. For more information, go to a4eaviationsummit.eu and the event takes place on the 3rd of March 2020, in Brussels. Welcome back and um, we were talking beforehand about the, the environment. Um, mm. we, we're in a changed environment. We are, we're very much so. In a yeah. different part of the cafe. It got a bit too noisy where we were. So <laughs> there's background noise and then there's drilling I suppose is the, is the uh, lesson there. <laughs> and environment is a, is a key factor and that, that came into play with the Flyby story but then the, the other issue around Flyby is, is another of those Stories that really dominated 2019, which was of of 
of struggling airlines and struggling European airlines in particular. And, and Flybe, who were pretty close to, um, had, had a pretty desperate sale um, last January, a bit of a mm. fire sale uh, uh, from the owners of which the Virgin Connect Group took them over and tried to, to get them under a new footing, found themselves back under the spotlight. Yeah, the, the surprise with Flybe, I, I suppose in the context of the journey it's been on in the last year is there was kind of maybe an impression that you know with a group spearheaded by Virgin Atlantic taking it over that despite its some um, obvious challenges and what we now know were were fundamental challenges um, that that um, it would would have been put on the front foot by um, by you know its um, absorption ultimately into the, the the Virgin Atlantic group you know and it was only when was it, October? I think that they were announcing that the rebrand. So it was, um, as you say, it was going to become Virgin Connect. So very much, you know, making it part of the the Virgin Virgin offering with Heathrow expansion in mind. All of this. So, um, so you know, we, we, I don't know. Everyone seems to got a bit carried away with with looking at that. And then, and then you, you, the stories come out um, earlier in this year that. Um, I think it's first so from the unions that they were concerned that they had heard these talks were going on about um, the, the airline again needing to be to be rescued and and it turns out yes that that um, despite having that kind of new group behind it um, you know was it the the fundamental issues had not been resolved. One of the things, of course, was that the difference between or the period between. Um, the, the new owners and the new consortium actually getting their hands on the business and being able mm. to do stuff with it. And, you know, so there's this kind of full storm period where uh, yeah, where actually yeah. they weren't really able to, mm. to get involved, which which um, made it more challenging. Mm. Um, but but Flybe, I think it's it, it, it really raises a lot of um, a lot of the challenges there are or challenging questions at the heart of airlines and aviation, which is around. Um, you know, the purpose of flying, the value of flying, mm. which has really come out in this particular... It has, yeah, because you look at Flybe's network, obviously it does fly some routes into to Europe, but um, obviously it's got a big domestic presence in the UK market. And, you know, again, touching on as, as you started this with the, the environmental angle, there's all, it, it does play into all of that. So you're looking at routes where people will naturally ask the question, well, do you need to fly to go between City A and City B? And you know, a couple of hundred miles apart, for example, the, these kind of fundamental questions that play into it. Um, and ultimately, though, even stepping back from that as well, there's the question, can they be made to work as, mm. as airline routes? Um, and um, I think, you know, that, that's still very much up in, up in the air in a lot of cases. Obviously, some of Flybe's routes are um, PSO routes, so they're funded, um, subsidised by, the, subsidized by yes. the government, sorry. <laughs> Um, so they're considered key routes, um, but also playing into this is that the, the, the UK's n relatively new government has a, has a partly because of the mandate that it got from where its strength is now in terms of where you know the, the areas of the UK that voted it in. Um, they've got a strong focus on connectivity within the UK, so having this regional airline uh, disappear overnight. Um, would have been a big blow to that kind of narrative um, and that you know obviously what, what we're getting at here is the fact that it appears ultimately the government flyby was in a lot of trouble again and the government has stepped in and done some things to that, that convinced 
its owners to, to pump more money into it and, and to keep it operating. And at the heart of it is this debate between connectivity, uh, which not not just the, the, the business benefits, in this case it's probably the social benefits of, of mm. connectivity against the environmental concerns. And you see there is no clear, simple picture on this. No. And, you know, I think, I think it goes right to the heart of all policy making and the challenges that mm. airlines have to make in terms of, you know, an airline's and the aviation community you know, has rightly been stressing the uh, economic value and the social value of, mm. of their services, uh, of air services, but you know, that's played off against yeah. this backdrop of, um, of the environmental impact, and it is not straightforward. No, it's not, and what makes it particularly acute in this case is the fact that um, part of the deal for essentially rescuing the airline appears to be some agreement on deferring um, air passenger duty payment for Flybe and an agreement for the government to review that duty, um, which um, we know is, and that move has proven very unpopular with um, not necessarily direct competitors for Flybe in that sense, because in a lot of cases their competitors wouldn't be other airlines, but certainly the UK, other UK based airlines and, and Ryanair as well are saying, well, if you're um, reviewing air passenger duty and letting, letting them off. At least, very least, delaying mm. the payment of it. Then, then what about us? And obviously, the the, the narrative, for, particularly in Europe, in the last year in particular, has been around fending off pressure for more taxation. So, and um, I think the airline industry is treading a very fine balance between not wanting what it would view as those unfair extra taxes that are often imposed because of the environmental impact that airlines have versus being seen to, to understand the um, the kind of existential issues around the, their environmental footprint. So it's a bit of a curveball really that we've actually potentially got a government here um, reducing taxes to keep an airline flying and um, it doesn't really fit into that, 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 particularly that European narrative we've seen in the last year or so so how that's going to play out because you, if the UK government starts reducing taxes generally across in a way that benefits BA, Ryanair, EasyJet, Jet2, whoever then um, it's going to face quite a strong backlash and it has already to an extent from some groups saying it shouldn't be doing this, shouldn't be reducing taxes to, to keep an airline flying essentially. Um, so it is a, it's a yeah, again as we talked about a lot of things that happened this year kind of seem thrown things into disarray a bit and this is another one where yeah as I say it didn't quite fit the narrative we thought we were seeing but um, it, it clearly desperately didn't want Flybe to fall over. So the so and, and so Flybe finds itself back, back in the um, <laughs> back in the in the spotlight um, you know remains to be seen and also there are there are questions around oh, there is this this issue around the you know Virgin were keen on on developing this argument of a second strong player in the mm. uh, in the UK aviation market. Uh, that in turn, to some extent, is is tied up and, and related to the growth of Heathrow, which is mm. you know, another of the of the big sort of political decisions that, that the government, the UK government, will have to make. Yeah, precisely. And um, you know, Flybe, uh, there's a certain logic to that. An expanded Heathrow than Virgin has Flybe as a kind of feeder into that, but that is that is a long way off. Um, 
as we know, the, the, the Heathrow date, is, but the, the, as in terms of when the third runway might be ready, has push, been pushed back and back. And you know, we're talking years that it's going to have to keep Flybe operating and presumably trying to find a, a profitable path for it um, before it. You know, we don't. Need, there's no guarantee it's going to get that Heathrow mm. benefit either, because if the slot decisions don't go in Virgin Atlantic's favour, then you know it's not necessarily going to need a, a, a feeder airline of 80 aircraft. Um, so there's a lot to resolve. It feels like um, Flybe's future maybe won't be resolved by what happens with Heathrow. I think it's going to be sooner than that that they mm. need to um, they need to find a way forward for it that um, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's a difficult the one. The biggest airline failure story of 2019 in the UK was uh, was Thomas Cook. Mm. Um, and of course, we, interestingly, we've seen um, a development around the Blue German part of that, Operation mm. Condor, which which has ended up in with an interesting resolution or a slightly different kind of mm. owner than, than we've seen for a while. Yeah, you don't expect to think that, you know, we a lot of people will talk about the consolidation in in Europe being around the big the big five groups essentially so you know, Air France, KLM, IAG, EasyJet, Ryanair and Lufthansa. It's only a small airline isn't it? Never, most, most people haven't heard of them. But yeah what, what's interesting here is we've got a, what, you know, a bit of consolidation happening around led by uh, LOT Polish Airlines so led by their parent company which um, has clearly been set up with a kind of group structure in mind. Um, so Condor survived um, the collapse of its of its parent, so the UK-based Thomas Cook Group. Um, it survived with some help from the German government, and part of LOT's takeover involves paying that that money back. But um, it's a curious one. I didn't see it coming. You've got um, LOT, sort of an, a, a state-owned network carrier. Um, that's that's strong. Uh, it's kind of like a lot of these carriers had a, a tough start to the to the last decade, but it's kind of um, stabilised and found some uh, success in its long haul service, particularly to Asia and, and, and North America. And then you've got um, a, obviously a, a German leisure carrier, essentially. So they're in adjacent markets, but there's not that much overlap in their network. So it, it very much does seem and the the talk from the two groups is this is a kind of a group attempt at, at setting up these two airlines um potentially i go you, you look at lot and it's got buzz the ryanair mm. unit as operating as a leisure airline in its markets or, or in, in the, the same country anyway so there's it's potentially a bit of competitive response there um but it, it's an intriguing one and um i guess um, it doesn't necessarily fit into the way I would have mm. seen consolidation happening in, in Europe. Um, but it sort of yeah. shows other 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 carriers being interested in in mm. taking part in this. Uh, you know, maybe it's not just all going to be left to um, uh, the bigger carriers. And you've seen, you know, largely through you know the, the, the collapse there, but in it, 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 it had been you know predominantly the same carriers that had had made inroads and grounds in there either by buying mm. assets or. Um, or, or filling the void, mm. um, and you know Lufthansa would have been interested in Condor. I think yes, you know, yeah. had, had it, that wouldn't have been a straightforward regulatory. Um, no, I think that that would have been a huge challenge. Yeah, where the German market, where the perception is already that Lufthansa Group and 
in the, the countries um, nearby has a, a very strong stranglehold on, on those markets. So if it had moved for Condor, particularly as Condor operates from Frankfurt, for example, and um, you know, some of Lufthansa's strongholds, I think there would have been a um, significant, I think, action by regulators to allow that to happen. And it'll be interesting to see how they how they develop going forward. Uh, LOT Lufthansa already, they are partners within Star. Mm. They have their own um, corporations. They're, but it sort of shows, um, you know, uh, as you say, it's an adjacent market for for um, LOT. It's a chance to grow and develop, and mm. it shows that that German leisure market remains for all the challenges that have been in in that sector highly um, mm. highly attractive to players. It does, yeah, and the, 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 the um, it's kind of, it's, it's a very interesting development in terms of it is something a bit different. And I think um, the, there's a lot to do really for LOT and, and Condor in the, the early days, so fleet-wise, um, uh, Condor is a very old fleet, its wide bodies are all, I think nearly all of them are older than 18 years which is the average age of its fleet that's just dragged down by its um, narrow bodies which um, which uh, are much younger but um, so there's a lot of work to do fleet wise um, to put it sort of on a footing I would suggest for growth so um, but you know LOT has its own experience of replacing its 767s um, with its um, 787 fleet so um, yeah there's, um, there's there's good experience there and um, I think it's one we'll watch closely because it, it, it would be um, shake up the market a bit if they did manage to make this pocket of strength mm. really in those in those markets and um, might suggest you, you don't know I mean further consolidation if LOT are suddenly in play for it that may be more interesting developments um, around the corner there but, um. so that will be worth watching I think the other um, thing we'll be looking at over the over the coming days will be engaging the mood of the industry at the Singapore air show which um, mm. Uh, takes place next week. Now that's obviously set against the backdrop of the coronavirus. It's going yeah. to um, uh, probably dominate some of the headlines, the questions, and degree of the visitors to that show. And that's on top of the other... I was going to say the headlines didn't really need dominating, did they? We're already mm. any air show where you know, Boeing are, are going to be there. Then, yeah, the headlines are kind of pre-written, aren't they? So having this mm. on top, it's... Um, yeah, it's, um, we've got a big team out there, and I think it'd be really interesting to see what the mood of the industry is because for the uh, the aerospace side of things, the um, the Boeing situation clearly is is a tough one. And adding on top of that, this um, coronavirus, which um, is playing out as we speak, then yes, it'll be interesting to see what what we get and what 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 the take is from um, key stakeholders um, over in Singapore. So we'll be. Um uh, following the um, developments at, uh, from Singapore at the all, all new look, flyglobal.com mm. website, which you can um, stay up to date on um, all the developments from the show. Um, that's it for this time. You can find links to all the stories we've referenced, including our analysis of the uh, airline chiefs facing the biggest challenges ahead in uh, written, uh, written before a whole raft of new challenges uh, appeared <laughs> on the scene so um, but um, yeah still I think um, 
that still stands up though. There's some, uh, there's yeah, it's just that it might have been a bigger article. Um, yes, there would have been if we were writing it today. Different yeah. challenges there, yeah. um, and you can step to up to speed with all the responses from airlines to uh, the coronavirus um, at flightglobal.com. Uh, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And uh, we'll see you again next month.